We're going to continue our morning praying right now, and we're going to pray for Park Ridge Church. Park Ridge Church is the closest church that I could find on the map. There may be one closer to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Um, in fact, Park Ridge Church, apparently, before they moved to their current location, uh, met in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. I can only imagine the, what they must be feeling as a church family as they're trying to walk their community through and maybe walk some people through, uh, even within their own church, the loss of 17 students uh, a week and a half ago. So I think um, it'd be fitting for us to pray for them. We can pray. We do pray for another church pretty much every Sunday morning when we gather. And I think it'd be very fitting for us to pray, um, realizing that the miles don't really matter when we're escorting a church into the throne room in prayer. So um, our distance from them, the fact that we don't know them personally, uh, it's okay. We don't have to. So let's pray for them. We're going to pray for the pastor also, Eddie Bevel. Lord, this morning we want to lift up another church uh, that is... Definitely walking through the evil day as they are dealing with the aftermath of loss and um, probably uh, reckoning with matters of um, questioning and matters of despair and folks feeling hopeless and uh, angry and confused. Lord, we want to pray that they will be uh, bold with the good news. Lord, we pray that they will be messengers of uh, hope and peace and meaning and identity and purpose. Uh, in a time in a, in a community that's certainly searching for that, Lord. We uh, pray for um, Park Ridge Church and pray for Eddie Bevel. I pray for him as a pastor, Lord, that he, uh, first of all, that you are sustaining him in worship, that he is um, walking with you in your word, uh, that he has um, God's people around him seeking your face right now. I pray that that would start first at home. I pray for his marriage, Lord, that he would be blessed, that he and his wife would would be enjoying you together and they would be drawing on your uh, mercies and your grace and your goodness. And I pray that his family would be blessed as they're walking in faith together. Lord, I pray for this church family. Uh, we just pray that you would use them. Uh, we pray for their, um, their own personal anxieties too and their own personal fears and worries and probably feelings of being inadequate and insufficient to the hour. Lord, we pray that they will put on the full armor and they'll realize that they have the goods to stand in this moment. Um, it's lifting them up this morning, Lord. Pray that you would guide our time together, that you would be glorified in how we spend these next few minutes. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We are nearing the end of the book of Ephesians, and we are in the final section, the final passages of a section on the full armor. I'd like to read that whole section and, and just take a moment to sort of grab the image that we've been holding on to these last few weeks, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6 in the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness 
and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. What a wonderful passage this has been. Sort of the central point of the passage is in verse 11. To put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The central command of the passage is the first word of verse 14. To stand. It is a strong imperative. Stand having put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand Satan in the evil day. It is a martial call. We've had an image up here. Go ahead and put my dark warrior image back up there. This guy, you've been inundated with this image. I think it's a a great image. It's it's, it's a fitting image, this this being sort of a martial call. You can almost hear the bugle in the background and the drums that are leading us into battle. That's a fitting image and fitting sound. Uh, I remember whenever... um, uh, Aaron and I were picking out this picture. We, were, we enjoyed, uh, I stopped in her office and she asked me if I have an, had an image in mind for this series. And I said, I really want to see a real strong warrior. And she found this image and as Aaron points out so well with a sense of humor, she said, he's not even bothered by the rain. <laughs> this guy is tough. Can you go ahead and show this? Let me, let me just have it ready to show and let me set the stage for something. I love the image. I love the thoughts. I love the thought of this bugle playing. Um, I love the thought of this um, um, drums beating in the background as we're putting on the whole armor and we're doing battle with Satan. But I want to show this, this video. It's something that unfolded this last week or so in the Olympics. This gal named Elizabeth Sweeney. If you've paid attention to the news or the, the um, Olympics stories, this is a story that emerged uh, over the course of the week. And I, don't, I can't remember what this event is called. Is that a half pipe, like skiing in a half pipe or something? It's not the snowboard thing, but they're skiing, okay? So this gal, all right, let me just set the stage a little bit. She finished last in the competition, like 30th. Now, I want you to see her performance, and then I want to just kind of connect it to our, our message. So go ahead and start that video. Right wall. 
All right, you can stop it right there. Man, I'm telling you what, real life is better than fiction. It is just, I say that all the time, and it is just so true. I have laughed about this video and this gal, not laughing at her, just laughing at the irony of the whole thing. I, see, this gal should not have been there. I mean, she just should not have been there. Let's just be really honest. I think the spectators know it. I mean, did you see them? Were they just kind of like, um, what was that? <laughs> Was that a comic relief? Was that a kind of a, like a clown at a rodeo? What was that? The commentators know it. They don't really know what to say. You know, did you hear him say, will it be enough? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, they just don't know where to put it. I mean, I don't even really think she really needed a helmet. I mean, let's just really be honest. I mean, I can't say that I could do what she was doing, but I'm not sure that she really even needed the helmet. I think she's the only one in the whole thing that didn't know that she shouldn't be there. I mean, even with the end where she puts her hands up, it's pretty hilarious. Um, I thought that would be a nice contrast because I think here we are, uh, we can put that dark warrior image back up. We've been talking about developing this imagery of this dark warrior and this, um, this withstanding Satan in the evil day and this bugle blowing and this drum beating and this series should stir you to envision that sort of image of warriors that aren't even bothered by the rain. But I want to deal with the reality that we often feel like Elizabeth Sweeney. Sweeney. I mean, we often feel like, hey man, I really shouldn't even be here. And most of what we do in life really wouldn't even require a helmet. I mean, let's be really honest, faith-wise. So I thought that'd be a nice contrast, and we'll sort of we'll develop that contrast over the course of the morning. But I think what makes the difference, okay, what, what we're going to deal with this morning, what makes the difference between the Olympian that can do the backflips and the triple sow cows, and I'm, I know I'm swipping, you know, switching genres there and all, but I can't remember what all these different moves are called in that particular event. I don't know. The difference between the Olympians that should be there, that are doing the things that Olympians do, and Elizabeth Sweeney is the treasure of verses 18 through 20. And that's where we're going to be this morning. Verses 18 through 20. I'd like to unre- I would like to read the passage again. I'm going to spend a few minutes unpacking the passage. And then we're going to answer three questions about prayer. Who are we praying for? What are we praying for? And, uh, excuse me, when are we praying? How are we praying? And who are we praying for? Okay, so let me read our passage. Beginning of verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let me just spend a few minutes unpacking this. First of all, I brought up just in the introduction this morning the the key command of the passage in verse 14 to stand. It is the central imperative of the entire armor section. And it's modified by really two ideas. And the first idea is where we've been the last few weeks. Stand wearing. Stand wearing the full armor. That's what we've done these last two weeks is we've identified the articles of the armor. The first three, week before last, and then the second three, last week. The belt of truthfulness, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel-shod feet, 
shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, carrying the sword of the Spirit. That's the first thing that conditions this idea of standing. The second thing that conditions this idea of standing is prayer. I want to show you in these next few minutes that it is as strong or stronger than the emphasis on wearing. Praying is as strong or stronger than the emphasis on wearing. First of all, there's some repeated words here. Just look at this verse there that we just read, this first one. Praying with all prayer and supplication. Prayer and supplication are slightly different words. And we're going to spend some time later on this morning sort of differentiating, the teasing out the differences there. But they're not largely different. Okay? It seems as if he's using synonyms for the most part for the sake of emphasis. When Evan was in school, we homeschooled our kids, but Evan, our oldest, when she was in school at Lamar, um, Christy made sandwiches for her every day. I can't remember if she, made, if she had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or she had meat and cheese, but she had sandwiches pretty much every day. And she had sandwiches so often that she will not even eat a sandwich now, as far as I know. She was so sick and tired of sandwiches. I never heard her say this, but I could envision her saying this phrase, I eat these sandwiches each and every day. Okay, each and every day is a synonym that's used for the purpose of emphasis. I'm sick and tired of these sandwiches. I, I'm eating them each day, and I'm eating them every day. There are synonyms that make the point that she's sick and tired of those sandwiches. It seems as if Paul is using some synonyms here for the purpose of emphasis, prayer, and supplication, praying with all prayer and supplication. Here's another sense that he's emphasizing this notion of prayer at the use of the word all. Praying at all times. Praying with all prayer and supplication. Keeping alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. When Christy and I were first married, one of the most common arguments that we had had to do with the, word, the use of the word all are some that, something that's similar, always, and which is the flip side of it, never. Okay, it took me a few years to realize that when Christy used that word, she wasn't really meaning that word, that it was just used for the purpose of emphasis. You always do this, and you never do that. And then I would respond like a young, dumb husband, well, what about last week when I did it this time? Or what about last week when I didn't do it this time? It took me a while to realize that she was using the word all or always or never for the purpose of emphasis. And it seems as if Paul is using synonyms here and alls to call attention to something. Prayer, see, at the end of this passage isn't thrown in there as some sort of afterthought. See, the bugle is still blowing. And prayer, how many sermons have you heard on prayer over your lifetime? Maybe you've been in the church your whole life and you've heard sermons on prayer and you're like, okay, here we go again. Man, I want you to hear this morning that the bugle is still playing. If you were stirred by this notion of armor and stirred by this notion of moving like a warrior and standing up to the wiles of Satan, then you must also be stirred by the notion of prayer because the bugle is still blowing in this passage. The drum is still Beating, prayer isn't thrown in as an afterthought, but as something central, as something essential, as something crucial, as something vital to standing in the evil day. I hope you paid attention to my use of synonyms there. 
Paul ends this section by asking for prayer for his specific circumstance. In some ways, what Paul has done, he's taught them on prayer, but now he's going to give them some homework. Like right there on the spot, he gives them some homework, actually calling them to pray for him specifically. Look at verse 19. Pray for me. Pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is likely writing from a prison cell, likely in Rome at this point, around 60, 62 AD, something like that. He likely has a daily view to a Roman soldier wearing armor. It's likely why he used that imagery that's right in front of him. He's facing a hearing with the Roman emperor at this point. If you know your timeline and you know who was who and when, you know that we're likely talking about a guy named Nero. If you know anything about Nero, you know that this guy made it like his job to hate Christians. So here Paul is praying for boldness and words so that he could deal with this guy and speak to this guy, Nero. He's praying for those two things, words and boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Now, before we move on and just assume that everyone understands what that is, let me show you how Paul uses that term, mystery of the gospel. Look over a couple of chapters into chapter 3 of Ephesians. Flip a couple pages over. I want you to see this because this is really, really sweet. Chapter 3, verse 6. Here's what Paul refers to as the mystery of the gospel, even within, the, the, within this, this very same book of Ephesians. In verse 6, he says, This mystery, he's speaking of the gospel mystery, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I don't know if you have really realized that this is a big part of context for the entire New Testament. This realization that God, through the gospel, has united the most unlikely of bedfellows, Jews and Gentiles. Man, we read this Bible like it's written to us, not realizing the context so often is speaking about something that's profound that had a lot to do with that time there. Like, listen to this passage, a very common passage uh, referred to, quoted often in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You ever heard that passage? Here's how it continues. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm going to read it again because I want you to get the point here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And here's the everyone. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the gospel is not just about you as an individual being reconciled with your creator. It's also just as much about you being reconciled to Gentile. And that's what Paul so desperately wants to reckon with in this hearing with Nero. He's praying. He's asking for prayer, for words and boldness to share the shocking good news of a work so great that it could make of of two people that couldn't be any more different than a Jew and a Gentile into one new humanity. He wants to present the mystery of the gospel that this isn't just another Jewish sect. Okay, context matters. He's going to stand before a Gentile. 
that likely hears knows all about the Jews and all about what they do. Jews were very common all over the Roman Empire as a result of the Babylonian exile and the Assyrian exiles. They were what, what had become of them is what's called the diaspora. They had been dispersed. So Jews lived all over the Roman Empire. And this Jew is wanting to stand, this Christian Jew is wanting to stand before a Gentile with the crazy scandalous good news that through the cross, God has united Jew and Gentile into a new humanity. Man, he's praying for boldness and words to do that well. It appears that he is scared to death that someone will dismiss this gospel as just another version of Judaism. He wants them to see, apparently, that this is the most shocking news the world and the Roman Empire have ever heard. You mean a Jew and Gentile can actually be friends and closer than friends? Brothers and sisters? Wow, that is truly Shocking that God has done something so profound that not only did he reconcile creature to creator, but he's made a way for creature to be reconciled with creature. That the most impossible of unions was accomplished through the work of the cross. That's the gospel that Paul is excited about, and he's asking for prayer that he'd be bold and faithful in the telling to a guy who made it his job to hate Christians. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, the way he's moving right now, the way Paul is moving right now, he's doing the triple sow cow. He's doing the backflips that we're talking about. And the way he wants to accomplish that is what he really, he's not doing it yet. He's praying that prayer will be the difference that makes it possible where he can stand before a guy that makes hating Christians like his job. One of the things that I enjoy about this passage and what Paul is asking for specifically is apparently prayer is so critical for him that he presents them with what are, I've introduced before, henna clauses, what he wants to have accomplished through prayer. I want to show these henna clauses to you because they're so important. Look at the passage again in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, pray also for me that. Pray for me in order that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. You see, it's like means. You see how urgent prayer is for him. In other words, if you don't pray for me, I won't have the words that I need. For him, prayer is so essential and so important that I need you to pray in order that I will have words. He does it again later in the passage. He says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's another henna clause. Pray for me in order that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Your prayers are so important to me, Ephesian church, that I won't even have words to share with Nero unless you pray. And won't have the courage and the boldness to stand and present the good news of the gospel of Jew and Gentile reconciled and creature and creator reconciled. Prayer for him is the very means. It's amazing to me that he didn't ask uh, for prayer um, for anyone to come deliver him from prison. I mean, I think that's what I'd be asking for. He didn't ask for a crack bunch of mercenary Christians to come bust him out of prison in Rome. He didn't ask for the Ephesians uh, in in Ephesus to go to the Roman consulate and see if they can appeal to him to get him out of prison. 
Man, he's doing some backflips right here. He's doing some Olympian-type moves, and he's asking for prayer to bathe that work so that he can stand in the evil day. He's asked for prayer in order to stand in the evil day. Now, I want to spend the next few minutes just dealing with when we pray, how we pray, and who we pray for. They come right out of this passage, and they're beautiful. First of all, when to pray. Verse 18a, the first part of verse 18 is we pray at all times. This is not so much about praying without ceasing like he encouraged the Thessalonians to do in 1 Thessalonians 5. It's more about praying on all occasions. This is tied back to the armor section and the imperative to stand in the evil day. So we're talking about all occasions of conflict, all occasions of danger. Pray on every occasion that you deal with fear. Pray on every occasion you deal with anxiety, every occasion that you deal with worry or doubt or despair or guilt even, conviction even. Pray when you deal with shame. Those are all occasions to pray. And here's what happens when you pray in those moments, people. When you take the time to pray, what you are saying functionally is you are saying this occasion, this situation is bigger than me. God, I'm too small for this situation. I don't have the resources within myself to withstand the evil day. I don't have the skill, the wisdom, the experience, the gumption to stand the onslaught of an ancient foe who outnumbers me, who doesn't need to sleep, who's had thousands of years of practice. I need thee every hour is what prayer says. I need thee. Oh, I need thee every hour. I've wondered if, it, if it's humility. Is it a humility that causes us to pray? We say, I don't have this. I don't have enough for this. Or is it wisdom? And I'm not sure that there's a difference in this regard. Years ago, we preached through the book of John, and one of my treasures in preaching through the book of John was preaching through John chapter 10, the, the good shepherd chapter. We studied sheep, and we studied shepherds, and we studied what what God was saying through the metaphor even. One of the things I enjoyed through that journey through John chapter 10 is what makes for a wise sheep is not experience with wolves, that they're on to wolves, that they understand wolves. What makes for a wise sheep is not the ability to identify poisonous grass. Ooh, yeah, we better not eat that. What makes for a wise sheep is not the sense that, ooh, that's a cliff and I better not go walk off that cliff. What makes for the wise sheep is the sheep, the older sheep, the ones that actually survive to be wise, do so by sticking close to the shepherd. That's what makes for a wise sheep. And it's humility that conditions us to run to the shepherd and say, I need thee every hour. We stick close to the shepherd in prayer on all occasions. That's when we pray. Let's talk about how we pray. Right here from the passage, we can also look at the rest of chapter uh, 6, verse 18, and see a few things that come out in regards to how to pray. We are to pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, alert with all perseverance. I want to take just a moment and just sort of break these three things down. There are three things that come out in regard to how to pray. And the first is we to, we're to pray with all prayer and supplication. I told you those are, for the most part, synonyms. 
They're a little bit different. There are some things to distinguish there. The second word could be translated petition. It's like requests. The first term is broad enough that it could be translated as worship altogether. And the second term has a more specific meaning, making requests. But taken together, taken together, they suggest an ongoing Godward attitude and a mindset that's sort of directed in God's direction as you drive to work on an uneventful day, that you're mindful of God, that you're prayerful, that you're thinking about what God might have for you in that day. As you shave your mug in the morning, for those of you that do, or or, or don't, as you fix your beard, if you have a manly beard, you're thinking about, what does God have for me that day? That's a prayerful approach in that moment, thinking over life and thinking over that day. As you put on makeup, I'm going to talk to the ladies just for a minute. I'm married. Hopefully, we're just talking to ladies. I'm married to a gal that I think she's like most gals that have 12,000 things going on in their head at any given moment. If there was like a speech bubble or a thought bubble next to me as I'm fixing my beard in the morning, as Christy's putting on her makeup, I've got like one thing right here, one thing. She's got about a million bubbles, all that she's thinking about. What a great time for prayer. What a great place for prayer to put those 12 things, 12,000 things in his hands at the beginning of the day. Man, that's a disposition of prayer and supplication. As you walk between classes, young people, to take a test or to turn in, to turn in an assignment, that you're prayerful, that you're thinking, Lord, I want to bring glory to you in how I go about my class As you find yourself in a conversation that's growing heated, what a great time for prayer. You can pray right then and right there. As you feel yourself getting angry or fearful, it's a good time to pray. A great time to pray. And as you have specific requests to bring before the Lord, bring them. Man, how are we to pray? Like it's an ongoing dialogue and conversation and a Godward awareness that leads you to enjoy him, to talk to him, to think about him, to thank him, and to request, make every request you can think of to him all the time. The, the shocker is that he's not bothered. He's not bothered. Man, how many moms are in this room where you hear your kids saying all day long, mommy, 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 mommy. And who loves a kid more than their, their, their mom? But even moms have had enough of that. But we have a good father that never hears enough of it. Father, 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 father. He doesn't get tired of it. And that access was hard won. We ought to be taking advantage of it. And we have it any time we want without appointment. We're to pray with prayer and supplication, all prayer and supplication. We're to pray in the spirit. What does that mean? The spirit-guided prayer, I think, is what we're talking about here. Praying in agreement with what the spirit would want. That's what it means to pray in the spirit. The Holy Spirit, if you study the role of the Holy Spirit in the Bible, you see that the Holy Spirit is all about making much of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not all about making much of himself. Ironically, this phrase and passages like it are what some folks want to use to make much of what they would call Holy Spirit sort of sign gifts. See, he's filled with the Holy Spirit because he's speaking in tongues. I want to just encourage you with this thought. The Holy Spirit is like a big arrow pointing to Christ all the time. He doesn't point to himself. He doesn't make much of himself. Jesus himself even promised that the Holy Spirit, as he 
promised the Holy Spirit is coming to his disciples. He said he's coming and he's going to teach you all things and he's going to bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Man, I want you to realize that the Holy Spirit is about making much of Christ. So praying in the Spirit is the praying agreement with what the Spirit wants to make much of Christ. Man, I encourage you to pray in the Spirit. Paul's request here is a beautiful example of that. He's asking for prayer for words and boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel of Christ. Don't you think the Holy Spirit would agree with that prayer? He's praying in the Spirit. He's asking for prayer in the Spirit. Man, he's praying with the something praying for something that the Spirit would be wholeheartedly in agreement with. The third thing that comes out of this as to how to pray is alert with all perseverance. The first is with prayer and supplication, all prayer and supplication. The second is in the Spirit. And the third is alert with all perseverance. I have two passages I want you to turn to. The first is in Mark chapter 14, and the second you can have ready is in Luke chapter 21. As you're turning there, let me just share something with you from uh, Wednesday night. I'm teaching the book of Job on Wednesday nights. Neil and I are teaching the book of Job to our youth. And um, one of the things that we realized in teaching, um, we're teaching through the first chapter right now. If you're familiar with the book of Job, you may be familiar with how it sort of unfolds. Uh, it says in there, there's a certain day that, that the sons of men presented themselves before God and Satan was among them. And that's the time where there's sort of this decision that's, that, that takes place, where God actually offers up Job. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And then um, the, the chapter continues a certain day. Now, it appears, uh, it appears that that certain day that's later in chapter 1 is actually the same day as the day that the sons of God stand before or sons of men stand before God. Okay, now what unfolds on the rest of that day is basically Job's life completely um, is destroyed. I mean, except for his, himself and his wife, his delightful wife. He loses his children, he loses his stuff, he loses his servants, he loses all these, this property, all these critters that he had. He loses it all in one day. One of the things that we talked to the youth about on Wednesday night was this notion of simultaneity. We're talking about some heavy stuff with our, with our youth on Wednesday nights. The notion of simultaneity. Because what's going on while these decisions are being made in the divine assembly, okay, on this one day where the sons of, God, or sons of men present themselves before God, what's going on simultaneously okay, is, is that the very same day is Job loses everything. Now, here's what's going on, though. Job's sons were feasting. Apparently, they did a lot of feasting because Job had to make sacrifices for his sons and his daughters in case they cursed God and all their feasting. Okay, here they are feasting while judgment is unfolding and while some terrible things are unfolding. Now, that's not the only place that that goes down. Well, simultaneity happens. Okay, as Moses is walking down Sinai, you might remember the story where they made this little golden calf, the nation of Israel, just days after they're delivered from, from Egypt and they've built a golden calf and they're dancing around the fire like a bunch of hooligans. The passage actually says that they rose and they ate and they rose to play. They ate and they drank and they rose to play. It sounds like the feasting while judgment is going down. Moses is coming back down the mountain. You might remember the story of Noah as Noah preached as Noah and his family built the ark, 
The times are described as a time where people are eating and drinking and giving in marriage. I pointed out to our youth on Wednesday night that most of the world expects very little. In fact, probably likely mostly nothing of a bunch of teenagers. Other than just do your schoolwork. You're not expecting a bunch of teenagers to live soberly, to live realizing that there are some things that are going on likely simultaneously with our life right here, right now. And we can be characterized as a bunch of people who are just feasting and eating and drinking who are rising to play. Because, see, we're not good at alert. We're not good at alert. And I encourage our youth on Wednesday nights to be good at alert because we know that things are simultaneously going on. In the divine assembly. And there's a schedule and a time and a plan and days that are numbered and ordered. And that's unfolding right here while we can live our lives. Eating and drinking and rising to play. Giving in marriage and feasting. See, we're terrible at alert. Let me show you this passage in Mark chapter 14. Here's a great example of being terrible at alert. In verse 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Hopefully, a familiar passage to you, what's about to go down. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, Are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping. We're terrible at alert. For their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Just from this passage, you get this. There's an encouragement here to watch and stay awake and stay alert and to pray in the evil day. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, so pray. But the problem is we're terrible at alert. Look at this other passage I asked you to have ready in Luke. Luke chapter 21. I want you to just notice the headings there. This, is a, this chapter is a great example of something that's going on in our Bibles where uh, there's an already taking place and there's a not yet taking place. Okay, there's an already where the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, but there's a not yet that it hasn't broken in completely. Okay, there's an already where the kingdom of God has come, but there's a not yet where it hasn't come quite completely. This is a beautiful chapter that gives you an example of that. Look at the headings in chapter 21. Jesus foretells, foretells the destruction of the temple. Okay, that actually happened in A.D. 70. Okay, later in the chapter... Jesus foretells wars and persecution. He goes on into the passage to say there'll be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And some of those things happened within their lifetimes. Pompeii, the the, uh, Vesuvius and all that went down in A.D. 62. Right there in their lifetimes, these things are, are unfolding. And then later on in chapter 20, the heading right above it, Jesus foretells the destruction of Jerusalem. That also happened in A.D. 70. He's talking about things that are going to happen in their lifetimes. And then... 
Down right above verse 25, he says, the coming of the Son of Man. And then he describes some things that sound like they haven't happened yet. In some ways, a lighter version of what he's describing here has happened already in his resurrection. That's the already. But the not yet is coming when he comes back. Okay, so some of what he's described here as the already of the days are evil sort of situations. But it's also a passage that speaks about the not yet and the return of Christ, the not yet. He's coming. Now, all that to lead up to what he says in verse 34. He tells these guys, he says, watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. Dissipation is like indulgence in sensual things. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with drunkenness. Lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. The reason he's having to tell them, people who've walked with him for years at this point, to watch yourselves is because we're terrible at alert. The arrest hasn't happened yet from this other passage that I just read. He's telling them here, watch yourselves. And then hours later, they can't even stay up and pray for an hour. We're terrible at alert. Look what he says next. It will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, this return, this day, this evil hour. He says, stay awake at all times, praying. And here's another hint of clause. In order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Man, that's our passage. That's Ephesians chapter 6 right here. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Man, that's beautiful. I don't know. We could close the sermon right there. Pray in order that we'll be able to stand. Pray in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Pray alert with all perseverance. The last thing I want to look at this morning is who to pray for. In this passage, it says very clearly to pray for all the saints. Prayer for all of our fellow warriors is what we're called to. Prayer for all of our fellow warriors in all occasions. Remember, Paul's giving them some homework right there so they can start doing what they're being asked to do right there on the spot. Pray for me. I'm in harm's way. You can start doing what I've told you to do right now. One of the things that I struggle with in, in ministry, see, we're, this summer will be 15 years in. One of the things that I struggle with from pre, in, in preaching and in pastoring week to week is I have what I think is probably an ongoing sense of urgency. But I feel like oftentimes I'm dealing with people that just have no sense of urgency at all about themselves or about anybody else because we're just busy. We just have a lot going on. We're just so distracted with so much. I mean, just the passage that we just read with dissipation or drunkenness or the cares of the world. That we're not living like he's actually going to return. That the not yet is coming. That we're not conscious of it. And I often go home on Sunday mornings feeling like, man, I just want to go hide because I feel like I just made a fool of myself. Shouting, (laughs) slapping things because people sleep because they're not engaged, because they're not ready. They hadn't made themselves ready to hear the preached word of God. 
if there's anything that's going to do me in in ministry, it's going to be that very thing. Because I'm telling you, it's relentless. Relentless. The disparity between what I'm feeling and what I feel like I'm bringing to the pulpit and what I sometimes see on Sunday mornings or what I hear between Sundays. Man, I know it's not true across the board, but I know from week to week in any given church that people can show up and sit and soak and leave and never connect to anything that's meaningful and never connect to a sense of urgency at all. And that preacher goes home week after week feeling like, what am I even doing? Man, I want to tell you right now, I think a big part of life together is dealing with the urgent issues in life that we're all sharing. If you want to develop a sense of urgency, then get a sense of what's going on around you, who's in harm's way. That's a great place to start. If you want to develop a sense of urgency in life about prayer, let's start praying for the Daniels right there. Pray for the Daniels family sitting right there and for little Trevor Daniel that's just trying to survive right now, that's trying to flush chemicals out of his body, that's trying to put on enough weight to where he can receive the next treatment. He's in the evil day. If you need some urgency about prayer, about what it means to walk urgently, to walk as if he's coming back, then start praying for one another in their evil days. A big part of life together is learning what evil days one another are going through. Yes, there's a not yet that's coming, this big, massive evil day when Christ comes back and he, he comes to get us, but there are little micro evil days that we're all living through. And when we share those with one another, man, that's the beauty of community. That creates a sense of urgency among the people of God where we're praying for one another in real life or death situations. Man, who are we supposed to pray for? We're supposed to pray for all the saints. Man, without fail, I see people that just get really excited about prayer when they're going through a crisis. And then when they're through their crisis... Man, I don't have time to pray anymore until the next crisis. Well, guess what? The person next to you, behind you, or in front of you is going through a crisis. You can pray for them. How about that? That's what it means to be the people of God. That means to, what, is, what it means to weep with those who weep. Man, I'm telling you, that's, this is a beautiful part of this, this passage, is that we get to pray for all the saints. A big part of life together is sharing your occasions of testing and trial, so that we can pray for one another. I don't know how folks go it alone. I really don't. A lot of people do, and a lot of Christians go it alone. A lot of Christians feel like they're going, they're going through some sort of crisis, and they feel like, man, I don't want to share this with anybody. First of all, they might think this, well, people just ought to know I'm going through this crisis. Christy and I had those kind of conversations in our marriage, too. Well, you just ought to know that I need this. Well, I'm a guy. I don't know. Can you just tell me? That's a great place to start in the church. Well, people aren't praying for me right now. Well, do they know you need it? How about starting right there and sharing? If you're going through some sort of evil day, you're going through some sort of micro-crisis, then share it so other people can lift you up in prayer. That's a great place to start. I don't know how people go it alone in their private struggles and trials. Maybe it's the feeling that no one else has struggles and difficulties, so we don't want to feel like an oddball. Here's the good news for you. You're surrounded by other oddballs. <laughs> I'll, I'll be the chief oddball. Man, I need prayer. I try and be in, as vulnerable and as honest and as open and as real as I can possibly be up here so that you don't somehow put me on a pedestal. I need prayer just as much as you do. 
man, we all need to be praying for each other. We're all oddballs. Maybe it's the feeling that you're too good to ask for prayer, and folks should just know, whatever the reasons, they're not good reasons to fail to pray for one another and to be prayed for. I need it, and so do those to your right and left and front and behind you. We should be praying for others on every occasion. And if you run out of uh, people to pray for, then just read the news. Okay, if you run out of people to pray for then, there's nothing going on in the news, no major crises, then you can pray for Christians abroad. They're Christians that are living in harm's way where it's like illegal to be a Christian, where they could lose everything, people that are imprisoned for their faith, people that are in Paul's situation. They just haven't written us a letter. We can read Paul's letter and then just go pray for them. Man, if you need some purpose, you need some meaning and some identity, then how about starting with prayer? you got plenty of folks to pray for. We should be praying for saints down the road, other churches in our community, other believers in our community, believers that we work with. We should be praying for folks across the country, believers in Florida. We did this very thing this morning. We should be mindful of brothers and sisters around the world even that are in harm's way that we can be lifting up so that they will stand in the evil day in order that they will stand in the evil day. You see the meaning or the, the means there? The purpose, the henna clause. Man, we are to pray for all the saints. That's who we're to pray for. When? We pray on all occasions. How? In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication, alert, with endurance. And who do we pray for? We pray for all the saints. Let's start right now and pray.